You're, 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 you're listening to the podcast for all of the news, notes, and breakdowns for your Ohio State Buckeyes. This is Sons of the Shoe with Nick Wilson and Spencer German. We are back. We are back. Sons of the Shoe is back. Nick Wilson, Spencer German. Spencer, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, Nick. Just getting ready for the holidays, getting ready for some uh, Buckeyes football coming up next Friday. You know, all the, it's, it's that time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Bowl season, Christmas season, you can't beat it. Have you reached gift panic level yet where you're not sure if everybody's getting equal gifts or that you've gotten people the right amount of gifts or if you've <laughs> forgotten someone? Because uh, that hit my house this morning. So my anxiety levels are through the roof. I, uh, I I feel like I always get to like these first these next couple of days or like really like yesterday, the 21st, and you're like, oh, I, I still got a couple of days left to figure some things out. And then you realize you're missing a thing or two and you're like, oh, but I actually this year, I think I did OK. Um, I, I, I haven't wrapped everything yet, but I think I have everybody accounted for. Um, so I guess that's the most important thing. Now it's just about like figuring out we're kind of doing a split thing because we're going to my parents for part of Christmas um or for for actual christmas but we're doing like a pre-christmas thing at my wife's mom's house so it's kind of like what gifts are we taking there versus what gifts are we taking here what are we going to be able to fit in the car so that's more than what i'm stressing about right now but yeah I'm, I'm with you that it's always this time of year that it hits you you forgot something <laughs> so i have been in this zen state because i finished shopping for vanessa um as quick as i ever have like this bleep was done december 10th spence okay you gotta understand i'm a <laughs> december 23rd guy when it comes to shopping so i've been living in this blissful unstressed bubble and my daughters are out at my mom's for the next couple of days kind of doing like a, a a christmas um hangout session with grandma and grandpa and you know ness this morning you know we wake up and vanessa goes uh i don't think we have enough for one of our kids and dude, it like, I don't know if, if, if your wife is this way, obviously you guys got one kid. I got three. My wife is obsessed. My wife is obsessed with making <laughs> sure all three daughters have the same amount of shit. And I just, I can't handle it. I, I think that's, I, I definitely think that's a, a normal thing though. I, I think my parents would do the same thing. They, they always try to balance it out or. I know as uh as you the, got little a special man, appearance the, little, the little man's trying to bring him on. Come on. Let, I, hey, we could use a third host. Can he cut up sound? Where's he at? Let a me producer. <laughs> he yeah, my wife came out and grabbed him, unfortunately. So no appearance <laughs> for now. Um, but uh he uh he was trying to creep on what he's getting for Christmas, I guess. I don't know. Smart um, man. But That's no, a I, smart game right there. That's <laughs> distracted. He heard he heard us talking about Christmas. He was like, Oh, I want to hear what I'm getting. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that my parents are always big on if one of us was getting like a really big gift. They would always be like, well, just so you know, like you only got like one big gift because and they got a couple other smaller ones. So like I, I understand. I think the balance thing is is very true as you have more children. I don't have to worry about that yet. But down the line, that would be, I'm sure, a conversation we have in our household, too. So, so true story. And I got to tell the story and we will get to Ohio State football here in just a moment. When I was four years old, my, my parents uh, did not have a lot of money when I was growing up. And my parents really did everything they could to make christmas this great thing for these you know two little poor kids and when i was four years old my sister was about a year and a half older than me 
we got all our gifts and dude we got for like like, like my parents could barely make like rent that month and my parents went all <laughs> out for us and my older sister looked up at my parents and said is is that it and uh, and my dad who my dad was like the sweetest man my dad never you know he, he could be a little dramatic but my dad very rarely snapped and my dad snapped and so anytime we talk about uh, who's got more gifts or who got more money spent on them, dude, my anxiety levels, it triggers it. It's been 34 years and I still have not recovered emotionally from this Christmas moment. So anytime Vanessa's like, I don't think we got Livy enough. I'm just like, ah, okay. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> Somebody I, give me my glaucoma medication. I can't handle this. There was one year I made a comment about a gift I got. I want to say, I, I, it was like a random, I was like a teenager. I think my mom got me like this tie. It was like this Christmas theme tie. had like, um, like Christmas trees on or something. And my mom always used to tell me that, you know, if it's a really good tie, if like the pattern is cut like perfectly on the sides. And so I think I made some comment about like, Oh, this one's not cut the the way that you always try to do. And she got, she got so upset. I felt terrible. Like I, I think back to that day and I want to cry. Cause I'm like, I made my mom go sob for like a like the rest of the day. She was just so sad. And I, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it like that. It was just like, we had had conversations about that. And I just made the comment offhand and I didn't mean it to like offend her. But oh, so the upside to both of these traumatic experiences are we both learned at a young age to be, <laughs> be very thankful for what you got? Yes, and and uh, and just smile, even if you don't like it. Just smile and be thankful that somebody spent their hard-earned money or their hard-borrowed money on you, and that is the true meaning of Christmas: not being an a-hole when somebody gives you a gift. Now, unless they uh, regifted it, then you can. Then it, then if you know they regifted something, then it's fair game to be like, yeah, you know. It's at which point fun. they're just bad at giving gifts. If they let you know that they're regifting <laughs> it, they're the asshole. That's just reality. Now, uh, Ohio State, they got a gift in their recruiting class here, and that yes. was the weirdest transition ever. But <laughs> look at the breakdown here. Um, I can't remember the exact, I think it's 20 kids signed their letter of intent here in the early signing window and seven kids from Ohio, uh, three from Texas. They got a quarterback, Aaron Nolan. They got two running backs, four receivers, four offensive linemen, two defensive linemen, six defensive backs, one linebacker and uh, a special teams player here. But the long awaited nightmares did not come true um, because Jeremiah Smith affirmed his commitment, put pen to paper for Ohio State as Ryan Day staved off those uh, those Seminoles of Florida and Miami Hurricanes at the last minute. Mylon Graham, another five-star wide receiver, put pen to paper. And then Edric Houston. And the Edric Houston stuff was pretty wild there, Spencer, because it went from um, he's signing with Alabama to about 20 minutes later, he's signing with Ohio State. It was a roller coaster, but the four biggest recruits, the two five-star wide receivers, Edric Houston, the edge rusher, and Air Nolan, all signing on the dotted line. So the nightmare can now be put to bed that that we're going to have some mass exodus. Like, let's say what's going on with USC right now. Yeah, um, I thought that uh, – well, let me say this. I actually thought that following along with signing day was almost more stressful from, from like a fan perspective – 
than watching, let's say, like that last drive against Michigan a couple weeks ago. And, and I don't, I don't know if it's like, well, you know, you know, Michigan's on the schedule again next year, so there'll always be another chance or whatever. Or maybe I just got, I've gotten used to the idea that maybe I wrapped my head around the idea that Michigan was going to beat Ohio State, so it was like, ah, eh, I've kind of accepted the fate already. But you're sitting there and you're seeing all these rumors and you're seeing all these reports about this kid's going to flip and this kid's not going to flip and. You know, they're you you see the picture of Jeremiah Smith sitting there at his high school and he's got like this big leather bag next to him, and it's like, oh boy, is he gonna pull some stunt here and suddenly pull out like a seminal hat or something like that and become like say he's going somewhere else. So you just don't know. Like it, it's it's a high stress day. It's a for for I'm sure like it, like I'm just picturing it from my perspective as a fan. I can only imagine the the intensity level that people like Ryan Day and Brian Hartline and people within the program are feeling as they hope that they've done everything they can to convince these kids like this is the place for you come here and then at the last second they might just go out there and say yeah never mind we're going to go somewhere or I'm going to go somewhere else so um and it actually it kind of it, it kind of made for a good uh, a good live moment from Ryan Day which I know we'll get to here in a second um but yeah, I mean that 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 was, it was stressful, but to to see it all kind of come together, I think was encouraging. I I you know I I know you had Albert Breer on, uh, on on your show Afternoon Drive on ninety two to the Fan on Thursday, and he mentioned there's only like eight five star recruits that are even going to the Big Ten, and five of them are going to Ohio State. Like that's that's pretty telling of where this program is at, the level that they're at. They're still recruiting at a high level even in this NIL era. And I think that's obviously really, really good to see. It was encouraging to end the day with the, the names they had. I think for me, the big one, yeah, Jeremiah Smith, of course. But to not lose Edric Houston was massive. There's more of a conversation I want to have off of that, but I do, I'll leave it there for now. And that I think his, if he had flipped, I would have been very panicked, I think, even with the other recruits coming in about this class overall. I'm really surprised with the amount of sports content being produced in 2023. I'm like borderline shocked. Nobody's found a way to package the early signing day drama into something akin to the NFL draft. And nothing, listen, the NFL draft has that that's has been building for 30 years. What a spectacle that ESPN has turned this in 40 years, even. But like, I just think, you know, whether it was Ryan Day's reaction, which we'll get to in a moment here, whether it was Jeremiah Smith with a bag, whether it was Edric Houston's flip-flop there. And that's just Ohio State, by the way. That's that's you know, three things that came out of and oh, by the way, you lost one of your other wide receiver commits to Oregon at the last second, kind of your rare. Uh, flip on on national signing day like i'm just surprised nobody's turned this into just vintage content in a way to make money off this because i think the only thing that stops um national signing day from being even bigger one they should put on a tuesday which is the off day in the nfl so that's just scheduling pragmatics and then two I think just having somebody cobble together and go, hey, these are the 20 biggest storylines in college football. I'm sorry. These are the 20 biggest recruits. We're going to try and schedule it all so we can go Jeremiah Smith's announcements into Air Nolan's announcement into yeah. Edric Houston. Like I'm I, I got I kind of think it would be like amazing if they did something like that. It's a good idea, actually. I maybe that's a lane that we could carve out with this show, Nick. Go national, go around yeah. and uh Go interview these people, these kids as they're making their decision. We make it a thing. I don't know. Can we get like twenty people on staff to uh, 
outsourced to each location so they can talk to them after they make their announcement like we get at the NFL draft? I don't know. There might be a there might be a path here. We'll see. Look at that. There's the future of the show. Now, you mentioned Ryan Day's reaction. So, uh, Ohio State head coach, I don't know why I set it up like that. You know where he coaches. Ryan Day was doing his press conference in Columbus the, the on Wednesday, the first day of the early signing period, and he found out on the dais where Jeremiah Smith was going to end up. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's real. It's real. Yeah, if you want to address it. You feel it? <laughs> you the floor that. is yours. You got to address that one. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if, if everything's in yet, Jerry. You got to check to make sure it's yeah, in. Yeah. Hey, Mike, you want to check with Justin? Yeah. Before I do something to get myself in trouble. Your stomach flipping right now, though? What's going on? It's been flipping for a while, Tim. Yeah. Okay, what was the question? Actually, I think you had answered talking about. So. Uh, a lot of people have been reacting to that video. One, I think it's pretty obvious that Ryan Day was being a little playful there. But you could mm. see, there is a palpable sense of relief. But when it comes to the like, there were there are people like legitimately debating both on our station and other stations. Oh, was he really close to fainting? No, you dumbasses. He was playing up the moment. <laughs> it was a it was a moment of levity because it was relief in there for not just himself but for Ohio State fans. By the way, video and audio courtesy of uh, Buckeyes Now. I want to give a shout out to uh, the, the source where I got it. But anyway, um, yeah, I I think that I thought it was a cool moment because not because I think well, first of all, I do think at times Ryan Day comes off here like robotic um anyway and so for him to sort of give you a peek behind the curtain as to who he is and just the the stress level that he's been going through as he dealt with all the the transfer portal stuff and recruiting stuff I did think it was cool um to sort of have that I, I don't know I always get a kick out of seeing coaches like in their element as people and the emotional side of things um you know it, it's why when you see Kevin Stefanski you know we talk about here in Cleveland with the Browns like when you see him give those emphatic speeches in the locker room after a game all of a sudden you're like oh okay this guy this guy swears a little bit that's that's cool like i, I didn't know that about him um, that's still a weird reaction by the way because kevin <laughs> stefanski's not good at cursing that's fair like that's he curses fair. the way like my youth pastor used to be like oh gold darn it like oh, gold darn it he died for your sins i've also like, noticed it's gotten more and more as they've won more games like he, yeah. he was kind of like keeping it more mellow it'd be like one word here there and then this past week it was just like F-bomb every every five words. Anyway. Like, if um, he ends up, if Kevin Stefanski ends up winning a playoff game, um, he's gonna it's going to be like... Um, the episode it, it was, of uh, South Park where they broke the record for the most like F-bombs in, in an episode or whatever. <laughs> it's either that or it's going to be like Cat Williams on the Coke. He's just going to be <laughs> f and here and f and there and f and that and hose and all that. Yeah. Oh, man. But no, I, I, I always appreciate those moments. I do think to your point, he probably played it up a little bit more. I don't know. I don't think he was actually going to faint, but you could tell there was like a real sense of relief from him. Um, and like I said, following along that day, 
I, I felt that because, like I said, I was very in tune with, is he going to flip? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? So for him to kind of see that in real time, I also felt like I was the one, the one thing I was wondering was I almost felt like, cause they knew that announcement was coming at like lunchtime and they scheduled the press conference for when they scheduled the press conference. I kind of wondered if like they did that purposefully so that Ryan day kind of had something distracting him so that he wasn't just like stewing in his own emotions. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was kind of cool. I also, he, he actually left the podium at one point to take a phone call. And it sounds like when you're kind of putting the, piecing the puzzle together, mm-hmm. he left the podium to take a phone call. And I'm pretty sure it was actually a phone call from Edric Houston to kind of, you know, s- figure out what was going on and, and talk him back into, hey, you know, we, we still want you. Here's what we can do for you. So I thought that was pretty interesting that maybe that was the kind of the final straw that flipped Houston back towards Ohio state. But, um, but yeah, it, it was kind of a cool moment, I think for Ryan day. So getting to the, the, the crown jewel of this class, Jeremiah Smith, and the expectation is, I mean, I, I believe he is the highest rated Ohio state recruit ever that they have signed on the bottom line. And that includes Marvin Harrison. That includes Terry Glenn. That includes he like. is So according to, again, this is 24 seven sports. So there people use their own webs. There's different sites you can use. According to 24 seven sports, he is the third highest ever behind Quinn Ewers and Terrell Pryor. Okay. So I was just talking wide receivers, but yeah. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah. 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 To just the big picture. This is a massive recruit. And I think what's interesting is most people scoff at high school recruiting now and say most of these guys aren't going to play or they're going to play for a different team or, you know, they don't make immediate impacts. I think the expectation is that Jeremiah Smith makes an immediate impact in Columbus. And I think what's interesting is to start with this question, which is do you think it's on Jeremiah Smith to replace Marvin Harrison Jr.? I don't think it's on him to do that because I, I think because Ohio State brings in these these top notch recruits, Brian Hartline's you know pipeline in terms of just the the receivers he gets is so vast at this point. Um, I mean, you got Carnell Tate, you got some of these other guys who are going to get you know touches and, and and looks next year. That I don't think it's all on him, but I do think that he is the type of player that will get to that level. I I am fascinated to your point in seeing how much playing time he gets in year one because i do think in this nil era i think on some level these guys want to see playing time sooner rather than later so that you don't see them enter the portal now i think people who are coming to ohio state i think they understand that they're and i, and I think jeremiah smith has talked about this you know he sees like the proof is in the pudding chris olave jackson smith and jigba marvin harrison jr now going uh michael thomas who at one point was the best receiver in football but injuries have kind of derailed his career um, like he sees that that's a place that develops you. So maybe that entices him to stay more, but that's specific to like that position. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, but, but either way, I still think like you got to kind of throw him a, a bone of, Hey, we want you to play. We want you to make an impact on these games. So I don't know, like year one, if the expectation should be, Oh, he's got to replace Marvin Harrison jr. But I do think he's going to have that trajectory where, maybe the following season, as long as things go okay. And, and he feels like he's still wanted and he knows he's going to have a big role the, the ne- that next year in 2025, that that becomes what his, his kind of what, what how the way we're viewing him, we view, we, we will view him as the replacement to Marvin Harrison jr. I think in a year from now. So 
I, I probably should make it clear. I don't think we should expect him to play at the level that Marvin played this last year, where it just felt like any time that guy got the ball in his hands, he was a touchdown waiting to happen. And where the other team was throwing two, three guys at him, and and because other teams understood that that offense, the the success of that offense predicated more on Marvin than it did on Kyle McCord and all that. But I do think like. At Ohio State, you're not not one person is going to replace Marvin, but you might be able to piecemeal the playmaking side of things. I think Carnell Tate has some explosive traits that I think could be really exciting. But I think, listen, I, I don't think we should put the ah, let's just be cautious with Jeremiah Smith. Like, I'm gonna assume whatever bag you gave the kid is pretty hefty. I'm going to assume whatever it took to make sure that he didn't flip to Florida State. And again, like a lot of the response was he was always going to go to Ohio State. This was his people trying to secure the absolute maximum bag from Ohio State. So, like, you're paying this kid a a mint. Like, this is this. So, this should be the guy. Like, Aaron Nolan, guys, he's, you know, a, a four sub five star quarterback. Quarterbacks don't necessarily walk into college as as ready-made products, right? Um, even Edrick Houston, five-star edge rusher. It's no guarantee he's going to show up, you know, day one in Columbus and look like Chase Young or Joey Bosa. But, like, that is the expectation for Jeremiah Smith. Even if he's not Marvin Harrison, and and certainly their games are a little bit different here, but the, the, the expectation should be that he replaces a healthy amount of, of the playmaking that you lost with Marvin Harrison very well likely going to the NFL. And that that's, to me, more how I think it. Like, Mylon Graham, well, he's a step back. And by the way, he's still a five-star. He's a step under Jeremiah. I, I don't really have that high. And nobody else. Jeremiah's the guy. This is the third biggest uh, recruit, as you had pointed out, in the yeah. history of Ohio State, expecting day one impact and expecting him to be able to impact a fair amount of Marvin's playmaking. Cause that's what he is. He is a true playmaker. That's where I'm at with, with Jeremiah. I think it's okay to have expectations in NIL yeah. era for a kid like this. We also haven't even mentioned Brandon Innes, who was a, a freshman this year. And, and he uh, he's kind of expected to, he, he was kind of in the same ilk of like Jeremiah Smith coming out last year, like the top receiver prospect coming in, maybe not quite as, uh touted in terms of like where he ranks all time as an Ohio State recruit but like those two together I think become your next tandem like it's been Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka before that it was Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba I think Ennis and Smith kind of become that dynamic duo that Ohio State has always seemed to have at least in in recent history so um and and Jeremiah Smith actually talked about being excited to to come play alongside Ennis so yeah, I, I think that I, I think it's obviously a massive get. I think obviously the expectation should be that he gets to that level, he becomes that playmaker. I'm just not convinced it's going to be in year one because I think Ohio State continues to kind of preach that. Yeah, we want you here, we want to develop you, but it's not just going to be a throw throw the balls out there and you play day one. So we'll see. I, I think he's going to have an impact. I think he's probably going to play more than most freshmen would. But I don't know if like year one, I'm I'm sitting here saying he's going to give you what you're missing from Marvin Harrison Jr. So we've talked a lot about the actual recruits themselves, but we've actually got to talk about the coaching impact of what happened in this early signing period, what this class signifies for Ryan Day, uh, the implications for Brian Hartline and Larry Johnson. We'll get to all that, but first, a word from our sponsors. 
as we react to early signing period here and uh, several, what is it, 20 commits for Ohio State putting pen to paper, I just want to point out something really interesting, Spencer, which is that when the thought was Edric Houston was going to flip and Jeremiah Smith hadn't announced yet and yet all this going on, I saw a lot of Ohio State faithfuls saying the sky is falling and <laughs> the, you know this is why you should have fired Ryan Day. And yet, when he kept the class together, I didn't see the credit going where it was due. And I just think that's a fascinating disparity, those two ideas of when something goes wrong with Ohio State right now, Ryan, this is proof, Ryan Day, it's, it's confirmation bias. Ryan Day's a scrub. He should be fired. He'll never beat Michigan. And yet, when he actually pulls off what he's supposed to or what, what you thought he wouldn't do, now it is, well, okay. Well, that's just what he's supposed to do. That's expected. Well, I, or I, or it's or it's oh well, he's got Brian Hartline, so yes. you know. <laughs> or, or exactly, not giving him credit. Like, yeah, I think a big takeaway from this is, guys, let's put this in proper context. They've lost three straight games to Michigan. They've got like thirteen players in the portal. This is clearly this time of transition for the Buckeyes program, and transition doesn't mean bad. But transition does mean a little bit of instability. There are significant decisions that Ryan Day has to make to be able to beat Michigan and solidify himself here. Not just beat Michigan, but go win a national championship. We're not sure who the hell is going to be the starting quarterback next year. And yet, in spite of all of that, and because you know, here's the other thing, you know for a fact that those other schools are using what is perceived to be weakness of Ryan Day against him on the recruiting trail. So the fact that he was able to keep this class together and keep Jeremiah Smith and Graham and Houston and Aaron Nolan and everybody here, and the worst thing you can say is you lost, oh, this four-star lineman to Miami, which was about the bag, or this four-star running back, uh, Jordan Lyle, to, to Miami, and then lo and behold, you still sign a bunch of offensive and defensive linemen. You still signed two highly rated uh, running backs. I, I, if you're not giving Ryan Day credit for keeping this thing together, I'm sorry. I think you've gone past the point of of objectivity when it comes yeah. to Ryan Day in this program. Yeah, you you can't not give him any credit. Um, I understand where. Yeah, a lot of this is on his staff. It's a relationship business. He sends people like Larry Johnson and. Uh, Brian Hartline and others out to go recruit these positions and recruit these players and build those relationships. But he does some of the recruiting himself. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the picture he took when he went out and visited Air Nolan. So he's obviously responsible for some of this. I also think, too, and I referenced this earlier in the show, he stepped away from the podium to take a phone call. And by all accounts, it sounds like that phone call was with Edric Houston. I actually watched a clip of Houston talking about Somebody asked him point blank, like, yeah, there was some talk that you might go the other way. Like, you know, what kind of pull are you, if you're able to say like, what kind of pulled you back to the side of Ohio state? And he said, like, he flat out, he flat out asked straight up, like, you know, all these guys who went to the transfer portal, like, what's that about? Like that might've been a red flag for him where he was like, oh, I don't know. I'm not so sure about this. And he said that Ryan day was able to go like person by person by person who's entered the portal and explain to him, like why this guy entered, why that guy entered, what his decision was, what this guy's decision was, and why they they obviously respect the decisions that these guys have made. And that sort of pulled him back to the side of, okay, I, I want to go through with this. Like, I understand it's it's the easy, low-hanging fruit. And on some level, he's a head football coach. You know, he always goes out and says, fair or unfair, I know I get the blame. 
fair or unfair. I know that Ohio State fans are, are hyper are hypercritical, and that's just how they're going to be. So I think he understands the position that he's in, and he will it will fall on his lap. But if it's going to fall on his lap when things go wrong, we should probably at least give him some credit when things go right. And in this instance, he kept it together. Sounds like he played a role that day and even convincing one of their top recruits to continue to come to Ohio State, not flip to Bama. Um, so, listen, there's a lot to be said for all these things. And I do think that Ryan Day deserves more credit than he's probably getting at this time at a couple of days removed from signing day. Well, and it's funny. I think he gets credit for doing the thing that Ohio State fans didn't want him to do, which he's been patient to this point. You know, uh, yes, if he had already added a quarterback in the portal um, you know, right now, if it was Cam Ward or if it was Dante Moore or if it was Riley Leonard, we'd be, you know, hooping and hollering. But as of right now, it doesn't feel like they panicked to make a move because they feel like they need to make a move. You know, even um, there was a kid, I want to say it was a Tulsa edge rusher um, that they kind of broke off a visit on and kind of to make sure that they could keep some of their defensive line commits happy because that where there's some like concern that that might cost them playing time. Um, there have been people who've wanted him to just fire, whether it's Larry Johnson or the uh, Julian Fleming, or not Julian Fleming, sorry, the uh, the special teams coach, or fire Justin Fry. Like, to his credit, he's not blown this thing up. Yeah. And I think that steady hand, that in, in maybe it's robotic in nature, I think that's helping Ohio State. I think before you can really start to make any of the changes you want, you have to get the hay in the barn. You have to get the players in the building. You have to get guys, well, you know, whether it's in the portal or in early signing day, you have to get them lined up. So then you can go ahead and say, all right, we've 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 taken care of the player aspect of this. What other elements do we need to work on? And I, I just, again, I think that is, I think a lesser coach or a different person maybe would have panicked and would have just fired guys that next day. And it would have been a beautiful, dramatic statement. It would have appeased Buckeye fans. It also might have savaged your, your your recruiting efforts. It might have sent even more guys into the portal. And so the idea that, again, that, that Ryan didn't do that, I think this, I think 20 recruits, I think this many five stars, I think Jeremiah Smith staying, Edric Houston staying, guys, I think that's because he didn't overreact yeah. to losing to Michigan. And there's still time, by the way, to make some some strategic changes, including the coaching staff. Like, you can have yeah. both things happen. It just might mean you have to delay that instant gratification. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the quarterback situation. It sounds like, too, he kind of addressed that in his press conference the other day where he made it sound like it's an, it, it's an open competition for 2024. He mentioned Lincoln. He mentioned uh, Devin and he mentioned air and he kind of said, yeah, I'm excited to see how these guys all kind of compete going into spring ball in 2024. So maybe that's the plan. Maybe we're not going to get a quarterback in the portal. And I guess we'll have to kind of live with that and understand that and see what kind of comes out of this competition. We'll see. And there's still time. Like you said, there's still some guys out there, uh, Malik Murphy and, and, and um, Malachi Nelson among others. So that's not to say they won't, but it does sound like maybe their approach could be that, which is kind of what I've heard as well. I, I do quickly, though, want to talk about because one of the area or two of the areas really that have been a problem, I think, in recruiting for Ohio State lately has been the offensive and defensive line. And I was starting to kind of feel, especially when the news came out that Edric Houston maybe was going to flip to Bama, my concern kind of became 
what is going on with this position group that you go from the days of Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa and uh, Chase Young, and you got these great pass rushers coming through, at least one in any given year, and we just don't seem like Ohio State has that of late. And where have they lost to Michigan in recent years? In the trenches. It's always in the trenches. Like That is where football oftentimes is won and lost. And to not have those guys coming and making an impact, it's been concerning to me. So I've had questions about Larry Johnson, but then it also sounds like his presence is why Edric Houston also came here. So where do you score to stand with the balance between is Larry Johnson still recruiting and landing the guys at a high enough level to warrant, you know, being the head of that sort of push every single year on the recruiting trail and, yeah, it might be time to to move on and find somebody who's going to get you those top-notch recruits. Because, listen, this year they they salvaged things, and I understand we, we can all sit here now and be like, great, it, it's all good. But at the same time, I think just recent years in general, we've seen some, some drop-off there, and I just wonder what the future holds there. So, one, I thought it was really interesting to hear Ryan Day in that press conference be as effusive about Larry Johnson as possible. Yeah. To me, he put to bed the idea that he would move on from Larry. I agree. Um, and actually, as kind of playing devil's advocate here, something we haven't talked about is I think we've taken Larry for granted. Um, you know, it was a miracle when Urban stole him away from Penn State a decade ago, and he has consistently delivered top five, top ten picks. And I think I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you've got a now going on year three of Jim Knowles and. There's been a reloading up front. And I think a lot of it, like, look at the build of JT Tuimoloau. Look at the style of defensive ends or even defensive tackles they're bringing in. It's a different defensive system. And I think Larry is trying to adapt to what Jim Knowles needs up front. And I think that is probably been tougher than, and I don't mean from Larry's side. I just think Jim runs kind of a quirky system. So I think trying to get the right guys while you're, you know, you've got, yeah, he does, he does, he does like to blitz like, like yeah. Jim knows likes to blitz. So he doesn't always necessarily need to get pressure up front with just his, his, uh, his edge guys or his defensive line guys. But yeah, it, it, it's a fair point that there's some quirks to his defense that are different than when you just had, Hey, let's line Joey Bosa up and let him go get the quarterback. Yeah. So that's kind of where my head is. So like the, the point here is I think um, like Justin Fry, it would not upset me if they moved on from Justin Fry. No. I don't think they will. But the difference between the struggles at offensive line and defensive line are I can fall back that Larry Johnson is a dude that put, I mean, 10 first-rounders, uh, five top five picks, top 10 picks on the defensive line into your program, whereas on the offensive side of things, you know, Justin Fry is still the guy trying to prove he can be at this level. All due respect to Virginia Tech, or I think UCLA is another place he had played. All due respect to those two places. It ain't Ohio State. And yeah. so that, to me, is where the proving ground is. So while everybody was was casting aspersions on Larry Johnson, I was looking at Justin Fry being like, my man, what can you do for me? And it still wouldn't upset me if they decided to move on from him. Um, because I, that the offensive I, – I can't, I can't watch – a great offense be beset by a bad offensive line yeah. again. Yeah. I can't. Well, and honestly, and like you want to talk about uh, Kyle McCord. I think Kyle McCord would have been 12% better this year 
if you had given him the yeah. proper offensive line that could pass block and, and, and run block to the level they actually ended up at the end of the season. I think that's very fair. And I also just think um, like that's, that's we talked about Larry specifically more so there, but I think on the opposite side, like, yeah, Justin Fry, it, there should be questions there. And when you look back at the teams that won national championships with urban, with Trestle, they were really good up front. Like their offensive lines were top notch. So that's an area of weakness that they've had on the recruiting trail as well. And I think that does need to change if they do have hopes of beating Michigan consistently and obviously competing for national championships. So while we're on this, we're going to hold the Brian, uh, the Brian Hartline conversation, which I think is going to come up uh, over the next week or so. But I think because we kind of got a boogie here, but I do think we just have to give Brian Hartline Boku credit. And yep. Ohio State fans have wanted to go, well, Brian gets the credit or Ryan gets the credit. No, together they went wire to wire for Jeremiah Smith, Mylon Graham, and they landed what Joe Klatt, one of the most respected analysts in college football, said was his favorite recruiting class. He thought Ohio State did the best job. And it really starts with being able to keep Jeremiah Smith so Immense credit goes to Brian Hartline. Yeah. We'll save some of the bigger conversations and for later. Real quick, I was going to say, I know that some people brought up that they lost Jeremiah McClellan, who was a four-star wide receiver who was part of this class initially. My response to that is, like, guys, they only have some they, – they can only feed so many mouths at a time, right? Like, yeah. I think at some point you're going to lose out on some receivers when you also see the receivers that they're bringing in every year are the top-notch receivers. And some of these guys are looking around like, when am I going to play – if I have to sit behind Jeremiah Smith. So you also added four receivers. Yeah. And two of yeah. them were five stars. So right. I guess you lost the guy you could afford to lose. Yeah. I, I so, will say Oregon is a problem. They, they had a really good recruiting class, I think themselves. And as they join the big 10 here, that's a team. Like, I think we could see some really good Ohio state Oregon matchups here in the, in the years to come. I think Oregon poses a worth, a worthier adversary uh, to Ohio state and Michigan. Than and Penn State, than either USC or UCLA. USC's right had a bad offseason. They've lost a yeah. bunch of guys flipped for them. They've yep. lost a bunch of guys in the portal. Like, yeah, it's the it's the complete opposite for them. I, I think Oregon's had a really good offseason, if you want to call it that. I know there's still bowl games to play. Um, but and I think USC's had a terrible one. Their- Washington will also be interesting to watch as they move on from yeah. Michael Penix Jr. But uh, we'll put a pin in that for a later day when we come back. The Michigan panic meter and of all the kids that are playing in the Cotton Bowl that might not be here next year, who do you want to keep the most? That's next. But first, a word from our sponsor. All right, guys, final segment of today's show on Sons of the Shoe. As always, please make sure to follow the show wherever you get your podcast. But as we start the final segment of every show with the Michigan Panic Meter, given the banner day for Ohio State, uh, the number two recruiting class, according to several outlets, uh, according to Joel Klatt, the number one recruiting class, I am moving my Michigan panic meter, which, again, the least concerned is gray. The most concerned is scarlet, white in the middle, and then we got light gray, 
or light gray and then light scarlet as kind of the in-betweens here. I have been light scarlet since losing to Michigan. Well, I was scarlet, then I bumped back. Now I'm going officially to white here because that was a good day for Ohio State. It's been a good three days for Ohio State, and now I'm excited to see what they do in the Cotton Bowl, and I'm excited to see what they do in the portal to kind of finish rounding off this roster. Well, in that vein, I've been in the the white for uh... – well, I've always been white, but yeah. yeah that's I've, People have been saying that about you. Like that Spencer German is always in the white because he is a white. <laughs> anyway, I've always been in the white on the meter. Uh, I am in the same vein, dropping mine a little bit further back. I'm going into the, the light gray a little bit here. We've never had any – neither of us have ever been like full-on gray, but I think we both at some point were in at least the, the light gray a little bit. So we're back in the light gray. I agree. A banner day on the recruiting trail for Ohio State. Also, I said it was going to be January 2nd. Um, it actually happened sooner than I expected. We already have our first Jim Harbaugh interest from the, the, the Los Angeles Chargers reports out there. So that makes me feel a little bit better that maybe Jim Harbaugh really won't be here next year. And that'll obviously make things even sweeter. Uh, maybe not sweeter because you'd like to beat him, but it'll make things a little bit easier for Ryan Day when they play Michigan next year. So, with that being said, um, one upper. Um, with that being said, <laughs> uh, as we start to look ahead to the Cotton Bowl here coming up next week, I did want to go through some of the guys. Now, it's it, it, this list does not include Marvin Harrison Jr., Travion Henderson. It does not include Tommy Eichenberg, JT Tuimolo-Au, or Lathan Ransom. All five players have not said publicly whether they will or won't um, play in the Cotton Bowl. It would stand to reason that any of those guys that are going into the draft probably won't. But here's a list of guys that have said they will play in the Cotton Bowl. Denzel Burke, Emeka Abuka, Jordan Hancock, Donovan Jackson, Jack Sawyer, and Tyleek Williams. Now, some of those, most of those guys are, are talking about maybe going into the draft. Some of them might consider going into the portal. I'm just curious, of the names that I gave you that are absolutely playing in the Cotton Bowl, who would you like to have back next year the most? It's a great question. I feel like I feel like I gotta go with Jack Sawyer, um, which may be an out there answer for some people and some Ohio State fans. But I, for me, he sort of towards the end of this season started realizing I think some of the potential that he came to Ohio State with. I mean, we've talked about it before. He came in as. The sixth, he was higher at the time, but now that Jeremiah Smith signed, he's the sixth highest Ohio State recruit ever. And like we all kind of thought, we, we were all having visions of another Bosa brother, right? Like, oh, this, this kid from Florida who comes in, he's going to feast, he's going to do some good things, and he's going to be that next great pass rusher. And it just hasn't really materialized for him. So to see him maybe come back for another year, and see if he can kind of add on to that. And if we can get a little closer to seeing that full potential, I think that'd be awesome. I would say, I guess a runner up would be Tyleek Williams. My, my The theme of my answers are all, I just want to see defensive line guys that I, I, I actually trust to come back. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think if we're, if we're just doing the, in the trenches version, Donovan Jackson, um, uh, who is obviously a hell of a guard for you, one of your most consistent was, offensive linemen. Granted, he's also the one who led uh, the, the rusher through that got to McCord on the interception too, so that's kind of funny. But he is he was good. You're right. You're right. But uh, I, I'll actually say, give me a Mecca Abuka. Um, I actually think it's mutually beneficial that he should come back. I think the injuries impacted what he put on tape, 
And I mean, I think this dude is a guy who in his own right could be a top 20 prospect. And I don't know if he goes into the draft this year, he will be. And so I think about, you know, I know it'd be an embarrassment rich uh, of riches yeah. with Carnell Tate, with with Jeremiah Smith, with uh, with Graham, uh, with Innis, and now to have Abuka come back. But, man, I'm telling you, if you're starting either a freshman quarterback like Aaron Nolan, a tr- uh, what is it, a, a redshirt freshman like Lincoln Keenholz, or, you know, just a guy who's maybe not the most crisp, pass, uh, crisp passer in Devin Brown, I can't think of a better friend to him yeah. than Mecca Buka coming back for one more year. Well, and I also think every year that they've had these great receivers, there's been one guy kind of like the elder statesman who's been like a leader for the group. You know, Julian Fleming had been here for a little while. He kind of been able to pass the torch before that. You had Chris Olave kind of passing it on. So I think it makes sense to have a guy. Otherwise, it's almost like you're ripping off the Band-Aid, right? You're ripping off the, hey, yeah. these guys are gone. We're going straight to Carnell Tate, who's – yeah, we think he's going to be good, but he's unproven. We're going straight to Brandon Innes. We're going straight to Jeremiah Smith. So to have somebody in that room who can kind of steady the ship and, and be a leader and a voice, I think would be super valuable. I think I like that answer. And I think just more importantly, like, I just don't know he's a top 40 pick right now. And I, yeah. and I, and he can maybe, help the stock for sure. Matt, maybe he's a guy that just tests out really well. And maybe that's the thing, you know, that happens quite a bit in the, you know, in the NFL where they're like, listen, we saw who he was two years ago, but like in some ways it's tougher to make that argument when you're also going to be compared to Marvin Harrison Jr. Like getting, getting some distance (laughs) from the tape that is Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably going to be the best thing for Omeka. And in the end, you just want the kid to do what's up, whatever's best for him. But this might be the rare case where it's best for the player and and best for him. And I, I by the way, I think you can say that about Jack Sawyer as well. Yeah. I, yeah. I think Jack Sawyer with one more year could be a dominant, dominant force for Ohio State next year. And we'll take as many of those as we can get. So by the way, th- real quick. Yes. My dream returner is Travion Henderson. For sure. I, no, I don't disagree with you, but I was just like, <laughs> I just thought it was funny that we're talking about guys that could realistically come back. And I'm like, just you know, pie in the sky here, Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. I just think, you know, if, if, if well, I, if, if I was a sports God, that's what I would have happen. I, here, here's the thing though. If I had to choose between the two, would I love to see Marvin Harrison Jr. Back in Scarlet and gray? Yes. But because of the crop of receivers you have coming back, if you're telling me I can only have one, I'd almost, I think, lean Henderson because I think Henderson can be like the best running back in all of college football when he's healthy. And I'm not so sure about the guys kind of behind him yet to know who's going to kind of take that torch. So I might actually say, I know that's probably a blasphemous answer to some people, but because of the guys coming in, I feel like I'd love to have Henderson come back. I really would. Um, I mean, I think if we're just going to say who would we want to have back if it didn't matter, like if, if, if the NFL wasn't a real thing, it'd definitely be Marvin, even with Jeremiah and everybody else. (laughs) But I guess the thing is like, when I think of holding back Marvin from top three pick money and from the second contract a year, that extra year, I just feel too selfish. It feels too (laughs) selfish as a fan to say Marvin should come back. He's done enough. Uh, Travion to me, I think he could really do a lot for his value by coming back next year. Um, even though, again, I don't look at him in in the exact same situation as a Mecca, because when Travion came back after injury, I mean, it was one, a one B who is your better player on any given week, uh, Travion or, or Marvin. So that does it for this week, guys, that 
yeah, this week. Of course, next week we've got the Cotton Bowl. Of course, next week we're going to get more into the Brian Hartline as coach in waiting in Columbus and the credit due for Ryan Day. I'm sure we'll have more news along the way as well. We'll have the uh, Cotton Bowl reaction show next week as well. But as we are a new podcast, we beg you, we beg you to follow us and follow the Sons of the Shoe podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, the free Odyssey app, and of course, 92.3 The Fans YouTube. Spencer, go Bucks, buddy. Happy holidays and uh, the best to your family, buddy. All the same to you, and as always, go Bucks.